0: chapter four part one of the boy scout aviators by george durston this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by kangaroo the house of the heliograph part one you know your way about london he asked yes sir said harry i shall have messages for you to carry said the colonel then, Now I want to explain, so that you will understand the importance of this, why we are going to be allowed to do this work. The war has come suddenly, but we are sure that the enemy has expected it for a long time, and has made plans accordingly. There are certain matters, so important, so secret, that we are afraid, to trust them to the telephone, the telegraph, even the post, if that were quick enough. In a short time, we shall have weeded out all the spies. Until then, we have to exercise the greatest care. And it has been decided to accept the offer of Boy Scouts, because the spies we feel we must guard against are less likely to suspect boys than men. I'm going to give you some dispatches now. What they are is a secret. You take them to Major French at Waterloo Station. He stopped, apparently expecting them to speak, but neither said anything. No questions, he asked sternly. No, sir, said Dick. We're to take the dispatches to Major French at Waterloo that all is it sir and then to come back here the colonel nodded approvingly yes that's all he said except for this waterloo station is closed to all civilians you will require a word to pass the sentries. no matter what you see once you are inside you are not to describe it you are to tell no one not even your parent, what you do or what you see. That is all, and he nodded in dismissal. They made their way out and back to the railway station, and Dick seemed a little disappointed. I don't think this is much to be doing, he grumbled. The Harry's eyes were glistening. Don't you see, he said, lowering his voice so that they could not be overheard. We know something now that probably even a lot of the soldiers don't know. They're mobilizing. If they are going to be sent from Waterloo, it must mean that they're going to Southampton. And That means that they will reach France. That's what we'll see at Waterloo Station. Troops in training to start the trip to France. They're going to fight over there everyone is guessing at that. A lot of people thought most of the army would be sent to the east coast. But that can't be so, you see. If it was, they would be starting from the King's Cross and Liverpool Street Stations, not from Waterloo. Oh, I never thought of that, said Dick, brightening. When they got on the train at Ealing to get a compartment to themselves, since at that time most people were coming to Ealing, then were leaving it. Dick began at once t- to give vent to his wonder. "'How many of them do you suppose are going?' he cried. "'Who will be in command? Sir John French, I think. Lord Kitchener is to be war minister, they say, and stay in London. I bet they whip those bally Germans until they don't know where they are.' steady on said harry smiling but a little concerned none the less dick don't talk that you don't know who may be listening why harry no one can hear us we're alone in the carriage i know but we don't know who's in the next one or whether they can hear through or not the wall isn't very thick you know we can't be too careful I don't think anyone knows what we're doing, but there isn't any reason why we should take any risk at all. No, of course. You're right, Harry, said Dick, a good deal abashed. I'll try to keep quiet after this. I wonder why there are two of us, said Dick presently in a whisper. I should think one would be enough. I think we've both got just the same papers to carry said harry also in a whisper you see if one of us gets lost or if anything happens to his papers the other will probably get through all right at least it looks that way to me harry said dick after a pause i've got an idea suppose we separate and take different ways to get to waterloo wouldn't that make it safer We could meet there and go back to Ealing together." "'That's a good idea, Dick,' said Harry. He didn't think that their present errand was one of great importance, in spite of what Colonel Throckmorton has said. He thought it more likely that they were being tried out and tested, so that the Colonel might draw his own conclusions as to how far he might safely trust them in the future. But he repressed his inclination to smile at this sudden excess of caution on Dick's part. It was a move in the right direction, certainly. Yes, we'll do that, he said. I'll walk across the bridge, and you can take the tube under the river from the monument. They followed that plan and met without incident at the station. Here, more than ever, the fact of war was in evidence. A considerable space in and near the station had been roped off, and sentries refused to allow any to pass who could not prove they had a right to do so. The ordinary peaceful vocation of the great terminal was entirely suspended. Anything happened to you? asked Harry with a smile. I nearly got run over, but that was my own fault. No, nothing. I saw graves and he wanted to know what I was doing. What did you tell him? Nothing, I said. Don't you wish you knew? And he got angry and said he didn't care. It wasn't any of his business. You did right, said Harry. They had to wait a few moments to see Major French, who was exceedingly busy. They need no one to tell them what was going on. At the platform, trains were waiting and even while they looked on, one after another drew out, loaded with soldiers. The windows were whitewashed, so that once the doors of the compartments were closed, none could see who was inside. There was no cheering, which seemed strange at first, but it was so plain that this was a precautionary measure, that the boys understood it easily enough. Finally, Major French, an energetic, sunburned man, who looked as if he hadn't slept for days, came to them. They handed him the papers they carried. He glanced at them, signed receipts which he had handed to them, and then frowned for a moment. I think I'll let you take a message to Colonel Throckmorton for me, he said, then giving them a kindly smile. It will be a verbal message. You are to repeat what I tell you to him without a change, and I suppose I needn't tell you that you must give it to no one else. No, sir. They chorused. Very well then. You will tell him that the trains will be waiting below Subburton at precisely ten o'clock tonight. Runways will be built to let the men climb the embankment, and they can entrain there. You will remember that. Yes, sir. You might as well understand what it's all about, said the major. You see, we're moving a lot of troops, and it is of the utmost importance for the enemy to know all about the movement. And, of course, just as important for us to keep them from learning what they want to know. So we are covering the movement as well as we can. Even if they learn some of the troops that are going, you want to keep them from finding out everything. Their spy system is wonderfully complete, and we have to take every precaution that is possible. It is most important that you deliver this message to Colonel Throckmorton. Repeat it to me exactly, he commanded. They did so, and seemingly satisfied, he let them go but just as they were leaving, he called them back. You'd go back by the underground, I suppose, he said. I'm not sure that you can get through, for the line is likely to be taken over temporarily at any moment. Take a taxicab. I'll send an orderly with you to put you aboard. Don't pay the man anything. We are keeping a lot of them outside on government service, and they get their pay from the authorities. The orderly led them to the stand, some distance from the station, where the cabs stood in a long row, and spoke to the driver of the one at the head of the rank. In a moment, the motor was started, and they were off. End of Chapter Four, Part One. Recording by King